This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Great to be together. As we are studying God's Word, we're going through a series on the Ten Commandments, so we're continuing that today. also wanted to let you know that uh, we're preparing some family devotions as well um, so that you can follow up on the command during the week. So on the table, there will be a table in the back of the room which will have all those books for the ladies, uh, 18 and up, mothers and non-mothers, so we'll give you that gift on the way out. Also on that table... Uh, will be these devotions. So if you, as a dad, want to stop by and pick that up, or ladies, you can pick it up as well, um, whoever wants to get it. Um, But this is two devotions for the week, both based on the fourth commandment, which we're studying this week. And this will give you something. This is pretty simple, but it just gives you some questions that you could ask and uh, just to create some kind of dialogue for applying the Scripture in your family, especially as you're... uh, trying to learn the commandments as well. It'll help you in that just to keep it live and to talk about it a couple times a week. We'll uh, get a lot more out of it and a lot more. Uh, th- there could be a, I think there is to be a lot more shelf life to what we hear on Sunday mornings than just ending when the service is over. So it's kind of designed to help you with that as well. Let's pray and then we will read our passage for today. God, my prayer is simple today. It's just simply that you would speak to us. That you would reveal yourself by the Holy Spirit through your word to us today. I pray that you would adjust our thinking where necessary. I pray that you would stir our affections where necessary. I pray that you would... Uh, enlighten our minds from the text of Scripture today. And I pray most of all that you would reveal Jesus Christ and His work on our behalf to us today in such a way that we are changed, not merely informed, but changed. And I ask you to do all this for your glory and for the good of your church. Fill me with your Spirit to proclaim these truths from your Word now. And give us all ears to hear, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today we're covering the fourth commandment. So we're going to start at the beginning and read the prologue, which is the statement that uh, God makes to the people having brought them out of Egypt. Uh, We're going to read the prologue, and then we'll read the first three commandments and then concentrate on the fourth. So Exodus chapter 20 is where we are. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And today, the fourth commandment, remember 
the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your servant or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If uh, we were to play word association where I say a word and then you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind, which we won't do, it's a fairly big group for that kind of small group exercise, but if we were to do that and I were to say the word Sabbath, what would come to your mind? Sabbath. Now, if you are not a Christian, first of all, we welcome you. Thanks for being here. But if you are not a Christian or you are a probably typical American evangelical Christian, then maybe the word that would come to mind would be irrelevant. The the Sabbath really doesn't have much to do with me. That's kind of an old thing uh, that's somewhere in the Old Testament maybe, but doesn't really have much to do with me. If you are a come from a Reformed church background, maybe the word that would come to your mind would be controversy, because this is a controversial, hands down the most controversial of the Ten Commandments, because there's an intramural debate which is tied to geography. Those who track their Reformation roots to continental Europe, Dutch Calvinist and such, uh, they have one view, and those who track their reform roots to more of an English uh, Puritanism, and American Puritanism for that matter, they have a very different view of this command. And so if you're reformed, it may just have meant uh, intramural turf war over the topic. That might be what you would think of. Maybe you would think of the Pharisees in the Bible, and the word that would come to mind would be legalism. I don't really know what the Sabbath is, but I know people were fighting about it in the Bible, and I know the Pharisees botched it significantly, so maybe legalism. Maybe you're idea would be limitation, certain things that are off-limit, that you're limited from on Sundays. That's a little bit of what comes to my mind. Uh, I'm old, but not that old, and I grew up in Texas, and I'm old enough to have lived during an era when something called the Blue Laws were enacted, which meant that stores were generally closed on Sundays, but um, you could purchase items of necessity. And so what that meant for me as a little kid is I have this vivid memory, memory of going in. I don't know the name of the store, but it was this massive drugstore. It was about like two Walgreens together or something like that. I just remember they sold all kinds of things that are not sold in drugstores today, like record albums. You, children, you can ask your kids, what, your parents, what that is when you get home. But they sold like records and uh, toys, which I suppose you could get today at a drugstore, but that kind of thing. So I can remember going into the store, and at the end of the aisle, it's, there's a rope, and it's roped off. The toy aisle is roped off. And so you can buy deodorant, toothpaste, foot powder, I mean, whatever's considered necessity, you can buy drug items, health items that are items of necessity, but you can't buy entertainment or recreational items because that's forbidden on the Sabbath, and so the laws are disallowed selling that. And so I can just remember standing at the rope and like looking over and, you know, wanting to be able to nag my mom for a toy today, but I can't. I mean, she's got God and the government on her side on this day. (laughs) 
She doesn't have, I mean, if she was smart, that's the only day she would have taken kids to the drugstore, would be the day when the toy aisle is closed. And if you're young and you can't relate to that, here, here's an illustration for your generation. You leave church on Sunday and you're really hungry and you think, let's drive through Chick-fil-A. And you're, oh, can't, you get there and it's like, oh, man, this stinks. I mean, they are resting and worshiping and I can't go eat at their restaurant. I mean, this is terrible. Try to go to the Christian McDonald's and you can't do it because they're closed on Sundays. And so you can feel the pain a little bit, but I'm going to tell you, you can, you can drive through somewhere else, but you couldn't buy toys anywhere. And that was a tough day. So I thought about limitation growing up. I mean, when we played the word association game Sabbath, I, I wonder if anyone thought of the word delight. Because that's what God's word for it is. If you look, I'm going to give a lot of scripture today, so if you'll just jot these down, uh, you can look them up when you get home. We're not going to turn to every one of them. But Isaiah 58, the prophet writes that the Sabbath day, he writes to the people and says, you are to call the Sabbath a delight. And I think the reality is that most of us, myself included, that most of us lack a vibrant, robust, life-changing view of what's communicated in this passage of Scripture. That we tend to think it's irrelevant, it's legalistic. We tend to think, I don't know what it means, there's some kind of limitations and I'm not into limitations. We tend to just not really wrestle through what's meant here and what is it revealed to us of God. And so most of us probably honestly wouldn't start with Sabbath. Oh, that's easy, delight. That's God's view. That's God's word. And we would be wise to be pulled to God's side of understanding rather than seeking to convince him of ours. So that's what we're going to do now is to consider what is behind this command. What happens in the context here is God has freed the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and brought them to be his own people where they, having been delivered, having already tasted and experienced the good news of deliverance, it is like an Old Testament gospel reenaction. He pulls them out of slavery and into freedom. And having had a gospel experience, they then are given the law, which is the way they are to live to reflect what it means to be a people saved by a gracious God. And so the first commandment says that God, who graciously rules over them, that he is deserving of their loyalty. No other gods but him. Secondly, he is Lord over their thoughts. They are not free to think of God as they please and create an image, an idol, carve an idol. They must think of God as the Bible reveals him. He's Lord over their conception, their thoughts of him. Third, he's Lord over their speech. You shall not take the Lord your God's, uh, the God, you shall not take his name in vain. And so God rules over how they are to speak and specifically how they are to speak about him. And in this command. The fourth, God is Lord over time. He's Lord over the way the people of God, the Hebrews, are to spend their time. And oftentimes we don't really like anybody telling us how to spend our time. Bill Gates was asked in an interview, among other things, why he didn't believe in God. And this is what Bill Gates said. Just in terms of of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. 
I don't say that self-righteously to put him down. I actually prayed for him this morning when I read that quote. But that's similar to a lot of our views. I mean, I'm about doing things that are efficient as opposed to, God, you have freed me. You are Lord over my time. You tell me how I can glorify you with my time. Well, this command, let's jump in and talk about what is commanded, what is forbidden. Then I want to look at Jesus Christ and the Sabbath, and then I want to look at how we can apply it. So first of all, what's commanded and what's forbidden? Positively, here's what's commanded. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, we'd be wise to start with the meaning of Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sabbath means rest, or Sabbath can also mean ceasing, uh, ceasing from labor. Sabbath means quiet. So what's being communicated more literally here is remember the rest day. Remember the ceasing day or ceasing from work day. Remember the quiet day. And when he says remember, he's not, God's not talking about just like bring to your recollection and be aware of. Like, uh, oh, I remember I had an appointment today. There's differing ways to use remember. Every husband in the room knows that remembering your anniversary, it doesn't just mean remember to have cognizance about midday that I remember today is my anniversary. Your wife wants you to remember your anniversary in a very different way than just recollecting intellectually a day on a calendar She wants you to do something about it. She wants you to remember by recognizing and responding. So remembering your anniversary uh, involves time together or a gift or dinner or a getaway or something. It it, it involves something. And so God is saying the same. Remember, don't just mentally recollect, but respond. Do something about this. Remember... Respond to the rest day and keep it holy. To keep it holy. Now, that's probably worship language. We'll talk about that in a minute. But to keep it holy most literally means to set apart. We sang a song this morning that said God is holy. He is set apart. That's really what holy, one of the foundational meanings of holy is, separate or set apart. So if we go back and read this whole thing, remember, respond Recollect and respond to the day of rest, the day of ceasing from labor, the day of quiet, to set it apart, to set it aside. Remember to, you know, put it outside of the common and separate this day. So that's what we're positively commanded to do. What are we negatively forbidden from? Well, The passage says this, verse 9, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So quite simply, God's saying to the people of Israel, you are not to work on this day. Avoid work, cultivate a separate day of rest, is what he's saying. Not only is he saying rest, but the command also includes this to give rest to others. Because what does he say? You shall do no work, but also to give rest. Your son or your daughter. Loudest amen from the kids we ever received at church was just right there. The Bible said I'm not supposed to do any work. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, 
And is there a difference in schoolwork and chores? We'll talk about that. I think, I think there is. Uh, so it, not to do any work, your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, so you're to give those who work you know, for you in your house. This was a household, so they're household servants to have a break. Their livestock, they even give the animals a rest. Um, and the sojourner who is within your gates. So within your gates. That's also the foreigner who's passing through and staying with you. May or may not be a Hebrew sojourner. Could be a foreigner. Could be someone who's part of the people of God visiting. But that person is not to work either. Now, when we think of Sabbath, we usually think or often think about uh, worship. Maybe that's in the in the little exercise we did at the beginning. Maybe that's what you thought of Sabbath. Worship, Sabbath, church, you know, something like that. Sabbath, singing and sermons or whatever. Maybe you thought of what's happening right here. And that is understandable. I think that is implicit in this text, but we have to go elsewhere to see worship as explicit um, for the Sabbath. I think it's implicit in verse 8 to keep it holy. To keep the day holy typically has a religious content. To keep a day holy, to keep a festival holy. Uh, to keep a uh, you know one of the uh, one of the festivals of the Lord to keep that usually had to do with something regarding worship or verse ten the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God so what he's not saying here is the Sabbath day is merely a day just to merely now it can include all these but not merely just a day to uh, to read, not merely just a day to grab a nap. It's not just sort of horizontally, you deserve a break today, though I think that's part of it, but it's keeping it to the Lord. There's a Godward focus. This day is to be separate to Him. So I think worship is probably um, gathered worship, like this is perhaps implicit there, but it's explicit in Leviticus 23. So if you're taking notion, write this down. Leviticus 23.3, this is what... Leviticus says, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. It's a holy convocation. What's a, you know, that probably clears it right up. What's a convocation? I'm not sure. Well, a holy convocation is a gathering, a convocation is a gathering of people in response to a call or a summons. That word vocation's in there, which has to do with call. Um, and so a convocation is to be called with or to be called together to uh, gather in response to a summons. The NIV sort of interprets this a little bit and says this, the seventh day is a Sabbath day, a sacred assembly. And from everything I could read and understand, that may be interpretive, but that's accurate interpretation. A sacred assembly. So what's happened on the seventh day? God calls his people to assemble. It's a holy convocation. A convention is a similar word. It's a convention. It's a convocation. It's a people gathered in response to a summons from God. It's a NIV sacred assembly. So Leviticus does give this. When we get the idea, well, didn't they worship? Once the tabernacle, once the temple is involved, and certainly by the day of Jesus, weren't they on the Sabbath day worshiping? Yes, they were gathering together. And we see that implicit in the ten laws and the ten words here. And I think we see it explicitly in the law in Leviticus as well. So what is God saying in this command to the people of Israel? He is saying, cease from your normal work, as it were. Rest. Give others rest and assemble in response to a holy summons from a holy God. 
That's quite simply what he's talking about here. So that's the what. He also gives us the why. He also gives us the why. Why are we to do this? And what's to be our mindset as we do this? If you'll look down at verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, God wasn't tired. So when we talk about God's rest, we're talking about a ceasing from some activity of labor. We're not talking about a depletion of energy. God's all-powerful. He doesn't deplete his energy. Um, But he did rest. He ceased from what he did over the six days in the work of creation. And so he's telling the people here, God, in essence, set a pattern of working six days and resting one And you are to, as those created him in the image of God, recognize that, recognize your creator. In other words, on the day, don't just merely remember the work of creation, but remember the one who created. It's a call to remember God. On this day, remember God's rest and rest in response to God is what he's telling them. Now, what I find very interesting is the Ten Commandments are given twice in Scripture. They're given by God Um, here, given directly in Exodus 20. In Deuteronomy 5, they're given again as Moses recounts them to the people of God. And in his recounting, sort of the second time through, there's certain points he makes that he sort of fills out uh, what is initially given here. And this is what is written there in Deuteronomy 5. When it gets to the fourth commandment, listen to this. This is what is written. Uh, 5.12, Deuteronomy 5.12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Very much what we just read. Verse 15 of chapter 5. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So not only creation is in view, but redemption as well. And this is why it's so important to understand the context of this command. For if you view the Sabbath idea, if, you, if your concept is burden or limitation, then your ears are completely different than the people who first heard this. Here's what they're hearing God say. Listen, you were slaves in Egypt. Somebody owned you. You worked literally as slave labor, and you not only did slave labor, you served under a tyrannical master that made things harder than necessary. You had to create bricks without straw, the Scripture says. So there was not only the functional work going on, but an intentional effort to make work harder than it even needed to be for the people. And so he's saying you were working seven days a week, You were under the authority of another 24 hours a day, and I came in, and I delivered you. By my grace, I set you free, and I brought you so that you could be a people to worship me. And guess what? I'm not making you work 24-7. I'm not a harsh dictator. I'm a benevolent, gracious Master that has freed you by my work, you are free. By my work of deliverance, you can now rest. And so on that seventh day, rest and remember your deliverance. See, the Sabbath day, according to Genesis, I'm sorry, according to Deuteronomy 5, is deliverance day. It's freedom day. 
We say God rested, and so we rest from our works, but we also recognize that God saves and delivers. And so we are to remember and consider and celebrate grace, freedom, deliverance. Now, none of us have been slaves in Egypt, but we've been slaves to sin, and God has delivered us and freed us from the power, the tyranny, the rulership of sin. Therefore, it is a day of delight. Listen, if you're a slave and you've been freed, and you're told, hey, the seventh day, you're commanded to rest. Wow, delight. Not back-breaking labor constantly and tirelessly, but rest so that I can pause and I can remember the God who created And the God who by grace delivered me and celebrate what he has done. It's never, never was it intended to be a burden, but a joy. Never a slavish obligation, just the opposite. You're free from slavery. And so it's a gift. And it's a sign of freedom, not slavery. Now, when we get to Jesus... In his time, in, uh, his time of ministry, the Sabbath is not celebrated broadly among everyone as this great gift. It is a burden. And it's a burden because of the laws and rules that are enacted by the Pharisees. Now, we don't have time to really study the Pharisees right now. The Pharisees initially are, are good guys. They're the Pharisees started what was a back-to-the-Bible movement. They were concerned that everybody obey the Bible, and that was really good. But what they did was they just sort of took it a little too far. So what, here's how they would typically do. If the edge of this stage, uh, which I didn't fall off the first service. I hope it doesn't happen now. But the, if the edge of this stage represents the line of the edge represents God's law, and to step over that represents a breaking of God's law, So here's what God clearly in Scripture tells us to do. We step over it. We have broken. We have transgressed. We've stepped outside of bounds. We've broken the law. What the Pharisees did was say, we don't want anybody doing this. Matter of fact, some of you are nervous that I'm just like right here. Or if you knew the lack of balance that I had, you would be nervous. So he's thinking, okay, I don't want to live on the edge. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to back up to about right here. And we're going to put a line right here. We're going to fence the law. We're going to put a fence right here. And if, if we don't step over this then we'll never get close to breaking that. Okay, so the motive initially was good. And and we do that all the time. So God says this over here, you know, some kind of rule, some kind of, uh, something's very clear in Scripture that he wants us to live for his glory. And we think, well, I don't want to pass that. It could be um, some area of freedom, could be some way we interact with culture, in the culture, or something like that. And so what we'll typically do, or what some will do, is just put a rule back here. Because if we don't cross it, we won't get to that. And the problem is this has the same weight as that because we want to universalize this and view everybody should be back here with us when God says, well, no, here's the line. And so what they did was they said, look, you can't work, so we've got all these other things to determine whether or not somebody's working or not. So we'll make it really strict, and if you don't cross over that, then you are not working and you never got up there. So one of the favorite ones I read about would be... um, 
if a hen uh, laid an egg, you could eat the egg, according to the Pharisees, depending upon, you could eat on the Sabbath, depending on which, when the egg was laid. So the Sabbath sort of started at sundown on Friday. The Sabbath is the seventh day, it's Saturday. So it, at sundown on Friday. So if, if like 4 o'clock Friday afternoon the egg was laid, then you could go ahead and eat that Friday night or Saturday. But if it was laid like Friday night, Saturday morning, then that was, the, the hen was working on the Sabbath, and you could not eat that egg. But you don't have to just look at their crazy stuff. You can look in the Bible and see their crazy stuff. We don't have to go outside of the Bible. Like Mark 2, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're walking through a grain field. Okay? It's Saturday. They're walking through a grain field. Actually, the number of steps you could even take was limited by some Pharisees as far as when you began to work or not. But anyway, they're walking through a grain field. The disciples grab some grain. They take it in their hand, they rub it together so the chaff comes away and they have the grain itself and they start eating it. And, and, and the Pharisees say, wait, hold on. You are doing what is unlawful. Caught you, you were working. Working. Now, anybody with common sense would say they were not working. That is not harvesting. Grabbing that, going like that, that is snacking, not harvesting. But to the Pharisees, way back here, that looks like that could be uh, on the way to work, you could pull out a sickle and, you know, I don't know, but it's right here. So we've got here, you cross that. And Jesus said this to them. He says, you know, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift for rest and recognition and worship of the God who delivered from Egypt. It's not that the Sabbath is something to lord over people like they were doing so that the Sabbath becomes a new master. You had slave master in Egypt, you're delivered, you've got a new master. It's the laws of the Pharisees, it's legalism. That's not the purpose. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says, the son of man, who's standing right there interacting with him, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I created the Sabbath. And it wasn't for this nonsense. I created the Sabbath. And as Lord of the Sabbath, I am fulfilling the Sabbath as well. Because Jesus comes and Jesus is the embodiment of what is foreshadowed in the Sabbath. Jesus brings eternal rest, first of all. Secondly, what we're to remember of God on the Sabbath that he created, and secondly, that he delivered from Egypt, Jesus is the greater deliverer, the ultimate deliverer. Deliverance out of Egypt is a foreshadowing of Jesus who will come and deliver his people from their sins. And so Jesus comes to fulfill what is pointed to in the Sabbath. And how does he do that? Well, he does the work we could never do ourselves. God comes and frees the slaves by doing a work that they could not do for themselves. Jesus comes and he does a work that we never could free ourselves from the power of sin. Jesus gives his life on the cross Jesus, who prior to the cross lives a perfect life and totally fulfills the law for us, then he goes to the cross, he dies, and not only does he suffer physically, but the Bible says that he ultimately becomes sin. He who knew no sin came to be sin for us, that our sins are credited to him, is how we could say it. And God the Father punishes God the Son for our sins. And so Jesus does a work we never could have done, We never could have been holy enough, obeying the law completely. We never could have atoned for our own sins. But Jesus does that. Then he is buried, and on the third day he is raised to new life. 
defeating the power of sin, defeating the power of death. And so Jesus comes and does a work that we could never do so that we could rest, so that we would not be under the tyranny of seeking somehow to make ourselves right with God as the Pharisees were attempting, to make ourselves right with God by fulfilling and obeying the law. We never could do that. So Jesus does the great work for us so that today we can come here and we can rest in his work. And we're right with God, not because we've worked hard enough or worked well enough. We're right with God because we failed miserably and Jesus has worked for us and we are resting in his work. That's the gospel, is that you are right with God. You're not an enemy with God if you've turned from sin and believed in Christ. You're not an enemy of God if Christ is your Savior. You are reconciled with God because He worked for you. You are at peace. You are at rest. And Hebrews 4 says there's coming an eternal Sabbath rest. There will be a day where we'll rest for eternity in His presence. It doesn't mean an absence of activity, but a rest from there will be no more struggling with sin, no more suffering, no more temptation. We will come into our eternal Sabbath rest. Activity to be sure, but a rest from what we wrestle with right now. Why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ. He is the new and great deliverer that the Sabbath caused us, called us to remember, or when they're receiving this, called them to anticipate as well. There's one coming who's going to bring a greater deliverance than out of Egypt, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's so ironic about this is the Lord of the Sabbath, rest incarnate, is standing there with the Pharisees. And rather than look to him and believe in him and trust him as the one who has come, they're arguing over picking a piece of grain and thinking that is ultimately what matters. So Jesus comes, and he in many ways fulfills this commandment. Now, that's not just the Sabbath. We talked about how in other commandments as well, Jesus keeps them. He keeps all ten commandments perfectly. But he also fulfills them in some way. For instance, we're not to, uh, second command, not to create a, an image, a carved, a graven image, or even a mental image of how we like to think about God. Why? Because God has provided the perfect image. Colossians tells us that he, is the invisible, that he is the image of the invisible God. So we worship the image that God has provided, Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God. And here, Jesus Christ fulfills this by being our Sabbath rest, by working for us so that we can cease from our labor. So how do we apply this? It is relevant. If irrelevant was the thought, I think that's a wrong thought. This, this, this command is relevant to us. Now, I do want to say this. Unlike the other nine commandments, it is not reiterated in the New Testament, the Sabbath is not reiterated in the New Testament in the same way that the other laws are reiterated in the New Testament. In fact, there is a shift in the New Testament where we see early in church history, the church begins to gather holy convocation, sacred assembly, being with the people of God, begins to gather on Sundays instead of Saturdays. This can be confusing. If you're new to the Bible, this can be confusing because we think the first day of the week is Monday because that's where our work schedule goes. Uh, But the, the way the Bible speaks of is the seventh day of the week is Saturday. That's the Sabbath. And then the first day of the week is Sunday. And so in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is resurrected on a Sunday. And so the church begins to gather on Sunday to celebrate 
the great deliverer who has delivered us through the cross and the resurrection has come back to life. And so the first day of the week is the time that we gather and celebrate the resurrection. Um, Every Sunday is resurrection day. One Sunday we call Easter, but 52 Sundays we call resurrection day. We're here today and not yesterday because the tomb is empty and Christ is alive. And we see the we see that beginning in the New Testament. See, the New Testament is kind of a t- time of transition where people are coming out of worshiping at the synagogue and beginning to gather as a church. And so it's a bit of a tr- transition there. But we see in the transitional period even that people are beginning to gather, the church beginning to gather on Sunday. Uh, so there's a shift. Uh, Acts 20, for instance. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That's speaking of communion. And then it goes on, and Paul speaks in that meeting. So Paul is preaching. So they come together on Sunday. They share break bread. Paul preaches, and it's a passage, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll remember, because there's a guy named Eutychus, and he's sitting in a windowsill listening to the preaching, and he falls asleep, and it falls out of the window, and then they have to go out and pray for him and resuscitate him and stuff. So he falls out of the window. So that is an example where these two emphases of worship and rest coincide dangerously. You should take a nap on Sundays. You should not take a nap right now. So <laughs> worship and rest together, but they don't mix well, as Eutychus can testify he does during Paul's sermon, which has always encouraged me because, you know, it's, it's been helpful because if Paul, this great, powerful man of God who had been to heaven, if he could put people to sleep, I just never feel bad when you uh, snooze on me, except that you're missing out on what's being talked about here. So at any rate, there we go. So first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says this, he's talking about the church in Corinth collecting an offering when he comes. He's going to pick it up when he comes, and he says this, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. He's talking about an offering to help the Jerusalem church, and he's saying, when you get together on the first day of the week, collect an offering every week and save it up. And when I get there, I'll collect that one big offering that you've collected over these various Sundays, and I'll take it for uh, famine relief, Is talking about helping other Christians. Revelation 1.10, John says this, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. And he goes on to talk about his the revelation itself. So John gives a name to a day. Now, isn't every day the Lord's day? Yes. If you're a Christian, every day belongs to God. But John was able to call a particular day the Lord's Day, which would, we would assume would be the day of worship, the, spe- the day unto the Lord. Not the Sabbath. He didn't call it a Sabbath. He called it the Lord's Day. So uh, the church has co-opted that language and used that language and frequently talked about the day we gather as the Lord's Day, um, where we get, and we get that from the Scripture. So how do we apply this for us today? Um, I think the wisest and safest, and this is a conservative approach, I think the wisest and safest approach is to look for areas of principled commonality between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day and then seek to apply those principles in responding to God. That's how I think we obey this scripture. And, very important, we do this as Romans 14 says, recognizing that there's some liberty here, there is liberty here, and that this is a matter of conscience. That Romans 14 talks about some people treating every day alike and some people treating some days differently. That different Christians are going to treat the Lord's Day differently, and there is some room there for people to end their conscience 
act as they feel God is calling them to. That's very important. There's a number of issues we need to walk at liberty in the church. This is one of them. And if somebody, you know, oftentimes you think, well, somebody's legalistic because they're basically doing something you don't do and that makes them legalistic (laughs) or not doing something you feel free to do and so they're legalistic. Sometimes it can be, well, they're legalistic. No, we need to just view what is God through the Scripture speaking to us and there's an area here where there's practice that we can have commonality and we're to love others, not not lead others to stumbling over an issue like this, but help one another and trust that there's some freedom here. But if we were to take two points, which I think could be agreed upon in terms of applying the fourth commandment for us today, it would be the two things I've really highlighted. A day of rest and a day of worship. A day of rest and a day of worship. Now, the call to rest, you would not be here this morning if you weren't resting from your normal activity. I mean, rest doesn't mean you did nothing. You've all done something to get here. But none of you are doing your sort of normal job except Pete, Rob, and I. We're the only people here today who are doing our, what would be our job, but everybody else is not doing their normal job today. You have set this day apart, and you have gathered for worship. So it very much looks like just what we're talking about here, setting aside the normal affairs of life to remember the God who has created us and has redeemed us. And so that's, the, the, that's the, I'm going to talk about worship in a minute. But part of rest is not doing our normal activity and setting apart the day for rest in a separate way. So you're resting today by the very fact you are not on a job site right this second. You are not in your office right this second. Um, you are at rest in that way. Um, Rest doesn't mean inactivity, but it certainly means setting aside something and doing something different. Also, when we recognize, when we rest, we recognize that we are not God. Every time you sleep, you recognize that you are not God. God doesn't sleep, nor does he slumber, the scripture says. He doesn't need to be replenished. God does not eat. He, he doesn't need food, in other words, to replenish or, replenish or nourish him. And God does not need rest in a depleted way. He, he ceased from labor of the creation after six days and rested on the seventh. But it wasn't because he was tired. That wasn't the reason. He was just ceasing from activity. And in that, we see that God uh, needs no rest, but we do. And when we rest, we are recognizing our finitude. We are recognizing our need. We're recognizing that rest is good. We live in a hyperproductive culture where rest is not viewed, rest is viewed as inferior. For a lot of people, work good, rest bad. And uh, that's just not true. There's dignity in rest. How do we know that? God rested. And God commands we rest. Um, And so there needs to be rest in our lives as an act of recognizing our own need. Not, Not everyone can rest from their normal labors on Sunday, okay? So, um, how do you deal with that? I mean, like I said, this is, a, this is a work day, so to speak. I mean, this is a pleasure and a joy, and what I'm doing right now doesn't feel like work, but at 3 o'clock this afternoon, when I realize what's happened all day long from the time I got up till the time I'm done, I will feel like I worked. Um, so this is a work day. Or there are other people who work on Sunday mornings and need to and should. Um, police officers, people that are bringing safety, um, people that are in the medical field bringing 
protection and, and uh, you know, helping those who are injured or hurt, working at a hospital. Or, and there's other categories of that. But not everybody on Sunday morning is necessarily uh, always going to be able to rest. But if that's the case, then everyone should have a point where they do rest. So we as pastors, we take Monday off. So Tuesday through Saturday are work days for us. Monday is a, uh, Tuesday through Sunday, I'm sorry, Monday's a rest day. And so we rest on that day. If you do something on Sundays, Sunday morning, you should find another place in your schedule to rest. Why? Because you are not God. And I only say this halfway jokingly. If you don't rest, you will see God a lot sooner, okay? When you have your first heart attack from pressing yourself because you worked seven days a week for years, you'll destroy your life, and you will recognize you'll fail in other commitments, and you will not glorify God with your life because you um, determined your own life and didn't see a need for rest. So we want to rest. What if you never get to rest? Let me address particularly mothers of young children. Okay, so this is all great. These are wonderful platitudes, Craig, but uh, we've still, I, I've still got to nurse a baby. We've got food to prepare. We've got stuff that needs to happen. Yeah, I would love to take 24 hours uh, do the one in seven thing, but that is not possible. Here's a couple of ideas on that. One, you remember one of the points of rest was to give rest to others? If you're a dad and you're not a homemaker, so if you're a dad, you work in the marketplace, Sunday is a day where you're not doing your normal work, for most of us. You're not doing your normal work. So that is a day that you and older siblings can help give mom with the younger kids, rest. Giving rest is a fulfillment of this command. So you can ensure mom gets a nap. Um, if, if you, you older kids, your work is school. That is your work. So on Sunday, that's where I think saying clear the table. Wait a minute, that's a, pull the fourth commandment on that. You know, what do you mean? No, I, I, maybe with your parents' permission, you could say I'm not going to do school work on Sunday with their permission. That might be valid. That's your normal work, but clearing the table, that's different. Okay, so you can give rest to your mom, um, and dads, you can serve in that way as well. And that's where beautiful things like crockpots, that's why they were invented. I, in my conscience, don't think it would be a sin to cut chicken and cook on Sunday. Some people don't like to cook or whatever, but I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but still, you can throw it in on Saturday night, Sunday morning. You can do Sunday morning, and then you're done, and it's easy. That's why paper plates were invented, so that someone doesn't have to do the dishes. So let's, you don't have to cook a lot. You don't have to do dishes. Do whatever it takes, even if it's a little more expensive. Do whatever it takes to give a stay-at-home mom with young kids a rest. My conscience is free to go to a restaurant on Sunday. Some, some aren't. Uh, mine is, so that's a way that you can give mom a rest. We all have different, we all have different areas, don't we, that we, we look at and pick, but that's, that's not one for me. So if you feel free to do that, you can do that as well. To give rest, to ensure that there is some kind of rest. If you work in the marketplace... I want you to encourage you to think creatively about what resting your mind and your soul to think about the Lord might look like. It might mean not checking any business email on Sunday. It might mean not making any business phone calls on Sunday. It might mean shutting down technology altogether on Sundays. You're free to do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not advocating draw a new line here. 
That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying as a free person, you are free to rest. If you're a student, it might mean taking a day off studying. I can remember being in college and um, some Christian folks I know, and I did this some, would just, just didn't study on Sunday. That's an act of faith. Part of, part of the Sabbath is, is faith towards God. I mean, in the middle of harvest, these guys have a limited time to harvest, and they can't harvest on Saturdays. Why? They trust God. So there was a season in life when I went to church on Sunday mornings, you know, did something with my roommates or whatever in the afternoon, went to church Sunday night and just didn't crack the books and just said, wow, I'm just going to worship Jesus and study on six days, and I think I'll be better off. It wasn't here, but it was just a freedom in the Lord. So maybe you should consider something like that. But whatever, um, I didn't always do that, but whatever, look for rest. Secondly, it's a call to worship. Sundays are unlike any other days, and so we gather together with the people of God for worship. Christianity is not individualistic. You are saved individually, but you are joined to the people of God. And God frees the people of Israel so that they can come and worship him as a people, and Jesus frees us from our sins so that we can gather and worship him as a people. This is meant to be a day of delight, to feed on the word, to receive the sacraments, to sing worship songs, to engage with the people in the church, to serve others. It's a day of delight where we don't do our normal thing, but we do something different. So I'm going to ask you, how do you view the Lord's day? Is this a day of delight and anticipation? Or is it a day that is wrought with its own sense of challenges and hassle and burden? Is this a day where, boy, we go to church, that's a good thing to do, but then we can get on to what we really want to do in the afternoon? Or is it a day of delight? I think God wants to elevate our appreciation and our anticipation of meeting God and what this day can mean for us. How do we apply this call for worship? Number one, we gather for worship. We just gather. This isn't for anybody in the room because you gathered. I guess this is for people listening on the podcast who weren't here, but you're here, okay? So we gather for worship. We gather. You were slaves, and now you're free on this day to have a holy assembly before the Lord is what the Old Testament tells us. You were slaves, but now you're free to be with the people of God. You don't have to do your normal duties right now, this morning, but you can gather with God's people and you can worship. Not only can you do so, you should do so. Here's what the New Testament says, Hebrews 10. We are not to, quote, neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. We must not get in the habit that some people have, which is, irregular participation in worshiping with the people of God. I'm largely speaking to our members here, um, but if you're a guest, well, if you're a guest, it would apply to whatever your church is, wherever you worship. So I guess it does apply to, to everyone. We're not to neglect meeting together. Obviously, there's exceptions. Obviously, there's exceptions. You're sick. Something comes up, there's an emergency, something prohibits you from making it. Of, of course, of course, there are exceptions. But what the Scripture says is we must not get in the habit of not gathering with the people of God. Well, now, are we setting a new thing here? No, we're not. He, Hebrews, we're right up here. This is what Hebrews 10 says. 
It's not the Grace Church rule. It's not my preference. It's God. Do not neglect gathering together, meeting together. You encourage one another on as you do it. You anticipate God as you do it. It's a day of delight. God's not saying, God's not calling us to his law to somehow enslave us. The whole context is freedom. The whole context is gift. The whole context is grace. It's a joy. God is saying, don't miss out on the day of delight. Don't miss out on feeding. Don't miss out on feasting on God's word. Don't miss out on strengthening one another as you fellowship. Don't miss out on the presence of the Spirit as He is uniquely present when His people gather to worship Him. Don't miss out on enjoying God. You're free. You don't have to slave for Pharaoh, and most of you don't have to work. You know, there's some exceptions I mentioned, but most of us don't have to work Sunday morning or you wouldn't be here. So enjoy your freedom for rest, but for worship of God. Prepare, secondly, is prepare for gathering with God's people. Sunday is the best day of the week. It's the most important day of the week. And to enjoy God and to get the most out of the Lord's day, we must prepare. We must prepare. It doesn't just happen for any of us. And so some, some ideas here. If you're a, a parent with littler kids, and I've mentioned that several times because a lot of us uh, are parents of little kids. I'm not. My kids are older, but they were little at one time. And so if you're preparing to gather with God's people and you have little kids, it just takes preparation. Here's a rule. It's not in the Bible. It's not right here, okay? But, but here's just an observation from life. If you have little kids and an event starts at 3 p.m., you probably shouldn't go because that's nap time. But for the sake of illustration, at 3 p.m. if an event starts, do not plan on being there at 3.15. I mean at 3 o'clock. Plan on being there at 2.45 and you'll be there at 3 o'clock. You've prepared ahead of time, right? You've got ahead of time. And so like with your kids, start preparing Saturdays. Novel idea. Select everyone's clothes for what they're going to wear. Find out if they're washed. Find out where they are and set them aside on Saturday night before you go to bed. I don't know why, but here's the deal in our family when our kids were little. I don't care where we were going. Whenever it was time to go somewhere, someone didn't know where their shoes were. And we had like more than one pair of shoes, but it's like nobody knew where their shoes were. And so I've got problems in my life, but I like always know where my shoes are. I don't know, but I never knew where my kids' shoes were. Okay, it's time to go. Everybody get in the car. Uh, Where's my shoes? I don't know. Have you seen? And so not only are we not ready, but now we're having a conflict Mom and dad, Ginger and I are having a conflict. We're having a conflict with the kid. Find your shoe. I thought you had your, sho- your shoes were on this morning. Where are they now? And so now we're not only running late, but we're angry. And we're sinning all the way to come to the Holy Convocation. So you can just avoid a lot of stuff. Just so if shoes is it for you, like get a pair of shoes and put them under lock and key. I don't know. Just get them. These are the Sunday shoes. Maybe that made sense from the days when we had like our Sunday clothes. They're just locked up and nobody can touch them until we're getting. So like the car is running. We can put on our shoes right now and walk straight out to the car. So get your kids ready ahead of time. Think about breakfast ahead of time. Prepare your kids spiritually. I can remember when our kids were younger and we would put them, literally put them in the bed and talk to them and stuff. On Saturday nights we'd frequently say, hey, tomorrow get them Aware, tomorrow is the peak of the week. <clears throat> it does not get better than tomorrow because we get to go encounter God. So let's pray that our hearts will be ready and then talk about that, pray about that on the ride. 
we would always talk about preparing to meet God, preparing to interact with others, preparing to serve, so that there's a vision for what we're coming to. We're not just kind of showing up with one shoe on or, you know, whatever, I don't know, but we want to come prepare. Now, I didn't always do that at all, but that's an ideal. Prepare physically and spiritually ahead of time. And come early. Come early. Now, for what I'm about to say, I need to let you know that I'm on the front row and I looked forward this morning. I do not know when any of you got here, okay? So I'm not speaking to any individual today. Everybody gets a free pass for what I'm about to say. However, I'm concerned for me, I'm concerned for us as a church, I'm concerned that the day of delight and the Lord of the Lord's day, that we be so enamored, so caught up with Him, so eager to encounter Him, that we're praying during the week, that we're getting up on Sunday morning, we're spending some time with Him there so that our heart is ready. We don't need three warm-up songs and a cup of coffee to get us going in the worship service, but we're walking in the door thinking about God, thinking about the cross and resurrection, ready to pour our hearts out to Him because we got up in the morning and spent time with Him. We got here early so that we're not rushed, we're not distracted, we're not yelling at the kids and swatting them on the way in, and we're just disheveled. Uh, and we, but we're here early, ready to go. And because this meeting, when does this meeting start? 11.15? Because it starts at 11.15, we're planning to get everybody there at 11 o'clock. And that means we'll probably make it with little kids by 11.15. Maybe you need to shoot for 10.45. But we're planning to get there so that we can encounter God. We are casual in our style. I'm dressed casually. This room is casual. We have a band that plays pretty casual type music. But this is, not ca- this is an attitude of the heart. I could throw up some stained glass, put on a robe, and we could recite a creed in here, okay? And it would be a heart issue as to how we show up and what our attitude is. It's not the dress and the environment. So we want to be, we're casual in style, but we want to be sober and joyful and fearing God and loving God in heart. Casual in style, we're fine with, but we want to be fervent in heart. And the concerning thing for some of us is, Some of us are in the marketplace, and if we had an important sales call to make at 10 o'clock, you'd be there at 9.30 circling the block for 30 minutes. Why? Because it's very, very important. If you had a job interview, you'd be there early, or you should be if you want the job, right? If you, ladies, if you were going to see your little kid play in her first soccer game, you're going to be there by kickoff. And there are some of us who would take a sales meeting, a soccer game, the start of a movie, the beginning of a concert, the beginning of a professional sporting event, and we would run red lights to get there on time. And yet whenever we show up to the holy convocation to meet God on his day and on his time, there is a laxity that does not reflect a love and a passion for the Savior and for the purpose of the gathering. Do not come on time because the pastor might see you and think ill of you. I didn't even say, I don't know. It doesn't matter what I think. Do not come late because you don't want to inconvenience the person next to you and step over them. Come because God is here by his spirit, and we're here to meet with him, and there's nothing more important. And that happens 
as I pray about Sundays during the week and anticipate meeting with God, as I, in Saturday in particular, guard your Saturday nights, be careful with Saturday night, careful when you go to bed, get your stuff laid out, get the food laid out, pray before you go to bed, wake up in the morning and encounter the Lord, set the count. And of course, you're not going to always be on time. Stuff happens. Your car tire has a blowout on the way to church. Your kid's diaper has a blowout as you're walking out the door. That happens. And so people are late. And so if people are late, we assume that one of the two blowouts or something else happened, okay? How's your kid? That's what we figure, okay? We just figure something happened. We don't judge. This isn't self-righteousness or something like that. But we want to have a view towards cherishing meeting with our God. It is a day of delight, and we are free to come and gather and meet Him. Dialogue about the what else can we do during this day? We can fellowship after church. We can invite someone over. You know, one of the ways we give rest is to extend hospitality. We'll do the food. We'll do the dishes. You just show up and rest and fellowship. That's a way to give rest to others. Uh, we t- can talk about the message, what we've learned. I've probably in the last five minutes given you a few things to talk about, uh, for better or for worse, over lunch today. Um, think about how you can rest on the Lord's Day. Can you read can you recreate? I don't have a conscious problem with that. Personally, doing some kind of sporting recreation or even watching sporting and recreation on a Sunday. But can we recreate? Um, can, can you get a nap in? Can you rest your mind, rest your body? If you're in a Sunday night care group, you're blessed because you really get to kind of carry this day throughout and in the evening. Um, and so that's a good thing. Sunday nights, you get to gather with people again and Celebrate rest and fellowship and life together. Make it a full day with a break in the afternoon for a nap and some family time and a bike ride or whatever you want to do. It's a day set apart. It's a gift. Hey, Hebrews, you could have been under Pharaoh's working orders today, but you're free to rest and worship. Hey, Christian, you could have been working and laboring for your own salvation, but God has set you free and called you to rest physically and called you to celebrate the rest that he provides. Every day is God's day, but Sunday is a day that we're privileged to interact with him and meet him in an unusual way. We're not here fulfilling, merely fulfilling an obligation to get to our plans. We're here to experience him. So let's slow down. Let's pray. Let's plan. Let's anticipate. Let's be eager for the gift that is today, and let's walk in grace for those whose practices might be a little different than ours on the Lord's Day in the church. Let's have room for people to um, do, you know, respond differently, but let's all come with an attitude of encountering God and delighting in the Lord's Day. I believe God, for some of us, and I put myself in this category, I believe God has more for us of Him in rest and in worship than some of us are experiencing. And I I want all of us to experience all that God has for us. These aren't new burdens and new laws. This is a way to experience the freedom of God because you're no longer a slave. He has broken the power of sin. Let's pray. God, thank you for freedom in Christ and thank you that we are free, most of us, from our work responsibilities this morning so that we could be here in a different way 
we could hear your word. We could interact with your people. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the good news of Christ which sets us free. And I pray that you would instill in us now an eager anticipation of the rest of today and of the coming Sunday, Lord's Day, next Sunday. I pray that we would think of you frequently on these days. I pray that our minds would go to you, the creator who rested, and that our minds would go to you, the one who delivered us. May this, Lord, may this be true of us. We thank you for the great privilege of being here and worshiping you. Thank you for uh, speaking to us today. And I pray, God, that you would burn in our heart a fresh, gospel-driven passion to rest and worship and meet with you and our families and your people on the day that you've designed. May we cherish the gift of this day and most of all, the gift of the Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit gracechurchfrisco.org.